Hey guys, before we get this episode started, I want to flag that I've been doing a fair bit of work with KPMG recently, doing talks into their uh, grads and uh, summer interns and this sort of thing. So I've learned a lot about their uh, programs and I've partnered up with them. So a couple of words about their different programs. They've got a graduate program, uh, which is one of the most robust and kind of famous in Ireland. Uh, and it's really big and there's quite a lot of training involved in it. If you're interested in going for that, it's, it's I think, three to four years long. Um, you would applications open up on September the 1st. Now you would apply to one of four different teams, audit, which is doing accounting for big companies, basically, uh, tax, deal advisory, which is kind of like a hybrid into sort of private equity investment banking type stuff, if you wanted to go in that direction, and then consulting as well. So when people think about KPMG, they often think it's a pure accounting shop. It's not, there's actually quite a few strands of business within there. They're also doing a summer internship program then. Uh, that application opens up on uh, in December. So keep an eye out for that. You can all track all of this on the KPMG careers page or on their Instagram page, uh, KPMG underscore Ireland. Now, uh, nothing is for everyone. There's no job that's perfect for everyone. Professional services, which KPMG would fall under, isn't for everyone either. But if you find yourself uh, fitting maybe the below uh, description, so the values I go off are the IMPPACT values and uh, if you find yourself valuing training and education at an early stage, then KPMG would be a really good fit. Uh, community and culture, like there's hundreds of grads in there in your cohort every year. So I know a lot of people have gone through that program and made some great friends and great career connections as well. Yeah, and then travel. I've, when I was in Sydney, I met a lot of people who had traveled with KPMG and, and worked down in that office too. So it can be really good for those things. And then lastly, for the more ambitious among you, if anyone wants to be a CEO or CFO in Ireland, Irish boards traditionally favor people who have gone through the accounting training and accounting routes. So examples of that include people like Michael O'Leary, for example. So uh, it could be a really good option for you. Again, might not be of interest, but if it is, certainly go and check out those pages. And if you're looking at the uh, work placement, uh, if you're still within your degree and you're, uh, you're offered a year to do work placement, uh, then get in touch with your co college placement officer and they'll be able to sort you out with KPMG intros as well. Hey guys, welcome back to the Grad Life Podcast. I'm very happy today to have a good friend of mine, Jack Kennedy, who I've wanted to have on for a long time. His career has gone like this so far. Uh, did best in Trinity, did uh, work for Accenture then for about two years or a bit less than two years, then joined a big tech company in London, then joined a small tech company in London as employee number one on the product side, and now is starting his own tech company all in the past six years. That's one of the reasons I've wanted to have Jack on. The other is that he's uh, a real introvert and he's always kind of talking about uh, his journey about uh, making his way as an introvert and how the world is kind of designed uh, for extroverts. And I know it's been a really interesting and, and informative journey for him. So I'm looking forward to getting him to kind of share some of those insights with some of the introverts listening here. So, Jack, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, best in Trinity, uh, we won't zoom into the course, but maybe zoom into your thinking. You went straight into Accenture after that. That's a really popular place to go. What was the thinking? Yeah, I guess at that time, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, I'd done four years of best and I'd gone through like business and politics within there. I didn't want to do accounting, which, uh, you know, we've talked about it a lot as well. A lot of people going into accounting afterwards. Um, and I think I've always wanted to set up my own company, which is, um, yeah, again, what I'm, what I'm working on now. Um, but I thought management consulting could give me a good base level experience and understanding of what business actually is. 
um, and kind of teach you a bit more about the soft skills um, while leaving the door open for me to try and explore a lot of other different things. Um, because with management consulting, you get to work on like a bunch of different projects. Um, so that was kind of my theory going into it, essentially. Without picking on Accenture, zooming in on Accenture in particular, management consulting in general, did mm. that live up to that expectation or to what extent did it? No. I mean, with all the things when you look back on them, you can have the benefit of hindsight, I think, with mm. it. But I think it maybe was different at companies outside Accenture, like maybe McKinsey might have been a bit more, very much kind of like a strategy focus. You go onto a project for six weeks and then you, and then you bounce off it. Um, but Accenture was very good for like teaching me real basic skills, like the hours are really long. Um, you have to navigate a lot of different like people within within the projects, all that sort of stuff. So it was good. Like I can't I can't knock it too much. Um, yeah. And you're on projects for like a year or two years. Aren't yeah. You? Exactly. Were you on that water project or something or whatever? No, I wasn't. I wasn't on uh, Irish Water and Erviya was another one. I, I was on a different team. I was on like a bid support team. Right. Okay. Which is actually exceptionally good. I I, I enjoyed the first year a lot because um, we did all the bids for the whole company. So like we're bidding for work and my job and that was just like project managing the bid process so there could be like 30 people on, on a bid yeah. putting it together so i really enjoyed that part it was like really long hours but i loved the work and wasn't too like going through them very very quickly um but then the second project i was on was just like a very stretched out project um and i kind of just lost interest in the whole thing i wanted something that was a bit more uh tech focused i think is what i really wanted to work on after that do i remember correctly that there was maybe it was one of the times i was home you were working, you did like an all-nighter on a Wednesday to meet a deadline for a bid on the Thursday, and then you'd have the Friday off type thing. Is yeah, that, yeah, that was the yeah, game, wasn't exactly, it? Yeah. So you went from that intensity to a slower project. Exactly. That's never going to be yeah. as fulfilling, yeah. And I think as well, like it's a very interesting point for, um, like we've talked about it before, with, with sometimes long hours can mask some of the things because mm. your brain thinks you're like so busy and you're oh this is unbelievable i'm so busy um at, at a young age you feel really um i wouldn't say the word important but you you, you feel satisfied yeah. because you're working all these long hours um you're you're engaged in the project and so i love that like it was really great and then you go into a project this like really long like project mm. hours like nine to five and i was just like fuck, I really don't want to give this uh, any more time. Like, I, I don't want to, I want, don't want this to last 20 years. You yeah, know? yeah. So I was very much in the frame of mind that like, it, then when I slowed down, it was like, okay, you need to be, give me the space to actually think about what I wanted to do, which isn't so great from a central point of view. Um, but once that happened, then I was like, right, what's kind of, uh, how do I kind of want to get out of here, essentially? Interesting. What was it like being an introvert in Accenture? And I'm going to be checking in on this with mm. each of the jobs. Um... It was, I mean, I guess even just to introduce like introversion. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. It, it's, and it's not like this thing that's kind of like a stigma or like you know, this illness yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, you have to, that you have to understand. It just basically means that your batteries are recharged from time alone. And that could be like time reading a book, time watching a movie, um, whatever else. But extroverts get a lot of their energy from, um, from talking to people. And there's actually loads of science behind it. There's, mm. there's like a lot of case studies. Um, I mean, yeah, sorry, not to jump too much into it, but one of the things is, is when kids are really small, like babies, they test them out and uh, they put like a big stimulus, you know, like waving a rattle in front of them. And if the baby like reacted loads, 
um, they were like, okay, they're probably extroverted. And if the baby didn't react, they're probably um, introverted. But it was actually the kids who didn't react uh, to the stimulus that were extroverted. And it's because like stimulus to like an introvert is like really reactive, you know, so like you're like your brain starts like firing really heavily. Whereas to an extroverted baby, it's like, oh, I want a bit more of that. So it just gives like a sense of what like extroversion versus introversion is. So Accenture was good. I mean, it, there's a lot of like um, organized events and stuff out of it. Like I skipped a lot of them, to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's good. I didn't have any kind of issues there with that, essentially. It was just like I worked hard and that, that was pretty much. It was a professional end. working environment. Exactly. exactly. It was probably what you expect. I always pictured the working world being like. Exactly. Yeah. So you went from there and I, I found this interesting at the time. You left there and went to uh, Qubit. People mm. need, probably need to know too much about Qubit, but it's tech company, big tech company in, in London. And you went into account management. Yeah. Which is traditionally a very extroverted job. Yeah, it's a exactly. sales oriented job. Yeah. How was that? Yeah, that that was the one that was actually easily the hardest yeah. because I had to do pitches every, I'd say like twice a week. Um, and that was like a really, really tough, but it was great because I was able to like learn that skill quite a lot. Um, and I think part of the job I loved the most as well was um, it gave me a really good sense of what tech actually is. So part of my team had to manage um, doing these presentations to clients and all that as account management. But then we actually had to like build things for these clients. And so within our team, we had two engineers and maybe like a kind of a data analyst, essentially. So I got to work very closely with them and understand, OK, actually, that's quite interesting working with the product and how we build that. The pre presenting is not really great, but I'm learning a huge amount from it um, and trying to like, you know, my first three months were fucking shockingly bad. It was it was I couldn't believe it. I was like, how am I ever going to get through this? But then afterwards, I was like, okay, I'm actually, and that's followed my whole career. First three months is always really bad. But afterwards, I've, I was kind of like, oh, I'm in a good position now. And I've kind of locked down those skills. And that gave me a lot of time then to enjoy the other stuff within the job. Was every day out of your comfort zone there because of the environment, the social environment? Um, yeah, it would have been. I mean, it was so radically different to Accenture as well. Yeah. Like it was the first, it was the first tech company I'd been a part of. And, um, I think even back then, you know, tech companies are still like what what year would we would, 2015, 16, yeah, 16. tech companies very well established, but there wasn't a huge amount of them even in in Ireland at that time. Yeah. Um, well, like, I'll put it this way: I remember you joined. I think they had 500 employees or something when you joined, and we were all saying Kenna works for a startup. Like, yeah, in, yeah, exactly. If, if it wasn't Google, it was a startup. Exactly. There, was, there was no categorization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ireland's very much like that. They, and, and now it's different, but back then there was just like the big, big tech companies. Yeah. Um, which are multinationals, you know, they're not startups anymore. Mm. Um, so it was my first experience there. So it was very, very different, like massive open plan office, um, like all the stuff, you know, like lunches, uh, parties on the, on the Friday, like dogs allowed in the office, all yeah. sorts of stuff, which I, I loved all that stuff because it was so different. So like that actually gave me a huge amount of energy to kind of deal with the other more like social sides of it and having to present to, having to present to clients was just such a, like a different scale. Yeah. Because even in Accenture, that was the managers, you know, that was the senior managers who always did that piece of work. Ah, interesting. Mm. There's a response. So the nature of that work is very kind of people oriented, whatever. It's very, you know, showmanship type. Yeah. Thing. But it was that was did the responsibility side of it shock you more. Was that more of a change? That was that was huge. That was humongous, actually. And I think one one like not criticism, but one downside of joining Accenture is like your, your responsibilities are low. Yeah. Like you, there's a well-established well-oiled machine that is Accenture and 
it is it is hierarchical you know there's mm. no there's no two ways about it and that's the way it works and that's that works for them and i think when you move and i've had that through all my jobs as well but when you move into something else you really have to learn okay no one's actually going to do that for me you know or no one is going to tell me how to do this part of my job yeah so that one took me ages i was kind of working with a manager and saying like hey what do you want me to work on now and she was like it's your job, you know, it's your ownership. Yeah. And so like in that you're managing, I think we're managing like 14 clients with a value of over a million or whatever. And that's like a lot of responsibility. So that's like one extended project by yourself that you're managing. That's so funny. So you, you imagine like you're going to lunch somewhere in the middle of London or Dublin and you're, you see a guy, young guy, all suited and booted, tie the whole works, hair mm. combed over, looking very serious and important. And then you see a guy beside him in a hoodie and a t-shirt. The guy in the hoodie and t-shirt probably has much more responsibility. Yeah, 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 for sure. Which is just a funny yeah. kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's so backwards. Yeah, uh, it's very, very interesting. But that's, that's why I think I love tech companies because they're, they're willing to take a chance on like young people. Yeah. It's, rent, it's set up by young people. Yeah. And they give you a huge amount of responsibility and it's generally a lot more open environment. So it's more willingness to learn. Whereas in Accenture, you know, it's something, if you make a bit of a mistake, it's not so good mm. because like it, they, they need that to get through, you know? Yeah. And um, so it's a much more different thing, a lot more responsibility. Which it's is very brilliant. interesting. Yeah. It's funny. So for people out there unfamiliar with tech companies, you tend to have two strands of them, the tech side and the business side. And there's very little in between. There's one strand in between. That's product, which mm. is probably more on the tech side than on the business side, if you were to put it in one. You did best, you did consulting, you did account management. So you were pure business, not mm. a stitch of technology in you. Mm. But in working with those engineers and analysts in Qubit, you really got an appetite for the tech side. Yeah. And you want, you decided, I want to go into product. That's a road to take. Mm. How did you take that journey? You did that course yeah. online. Was that a daunting kind of road to go down to make that jump across the ditch from business into? Tech? Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, for people who want to become product managers, there's no defined path. Mm. Um, and you'll see it in a lot of product managers' careers. There's no, there's no this kind of like linear progress. You know, they might have done their own startup for a bit, or they might have worked on the business, they might have worked on the tech side, and then all of a sudden, it just looks like on their LinkedIn profile that they're just in product management. Mm. Um, and it's like a very hard question to answer. How do you get into product management? Um, but I always, in Qubit, I always loved the product side. Like, we had to part of the job was to come up with new new things that we should put on clients' websites, basically, to, to um, enhance conversion rates. And so we had to come up with all the ideas, and then we had to design them, and then we had to put them into build. And I think I always loved that part of, like, okay, you come up with the idea, then you design it, you play around with that, you put it into build, you test it, and then you see the result. So it's a very, very tangible thing. Um, and I think one thing that I've always found with the business side is sometimes it can be very, like, yeah. um, is the word intangible, untangible? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought, thought this was like a really nice thing to have. You're creating something and then you can see the result of it live on the website or whatever it is. Um, so I just knew that that was a nugget that I really, really liked. I didn't think oh, when I went into Qubit, I want to be a product manager. It was just the thing that kind of came out afterwards. Um, but to give me that sense of legitimacy, I did the course, which was like, a kind of a, I think a 10 week course and just on the basics of product management, yeah, which okay. I could have read it in the book. Um, but it was just like a stamp of approval on, on my CV. Which unfortunately still matters. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm pure business. I probably always will be. Mm. So put me at like 10 or zero on the scale. Just mm. put me at zero. And, uh, 
I don't know, the person who's walking around with her headphones in, doesn't want to talk to anyone, doesn't wear shoes in the office, is like a 10 on the technical side. Mm. How high up on that do you need to be to be product? Um, that is dependent on the company and the job. Um, and the product. Uh, yeah. and, and the product, yeah. I mean, you can be, I think the best ones, like if there's a graph that's very, very good to actually understand what product management is. Um, you take the like Venn diagram, just three three circles overlapping, and it's business tech and design, or like business tech and, and user, essentially. Of course, yeah. And the product manager overlaps in all of those. So you have to have a bit of business. Like it's a metric that you're trying to change at the end of the day. You have to have a bit of tech. How does it work together? And you have to have the user very much in the, in the front on the design, but also how are you designing this from the user? What do they mm. actually want? So I, th- I think the perfect product manager sits definitely in the middle of all of those, not too business, not too tech, and so can align. But you do find, say, for someone like, um, I don't know, deep tech or, or uh, even a company like Stripe or Fivetran, especially, it's a more technical product. You've got to be a bit more technical. Yeah. So you can uh, align to very much. And consumer products will probably put an emphasis on design. Yeah, exactly. That sort of thing. Exactly. As you say, it's interesting because Steve Jobs is probably the most famous product manager yeah. of all time. He he was kind of the sales guy as well, but yeah. he was design. That was oh, his 100%, thing. 100%, yeah. And then I've actually got a good friend down in Sydney who studied graphic design. His whole thing was just drawing pictures and, and whatever. No interest in tech. Mm. And then he ended up working for a clothes company and just designed little goofy logos, whatever. And now he's the product manager for one of the hottest tech startups in yeah. Australia yeah. because that he came in with design heavy. Yeah, pure design. Yeah. yeah. And then you, if you're design heavy PM, you can probably hire tech heavy people around you. Is that right? Exactly. You can yeah. Balance it out. And I mean, also within the company, you will you will see that there might be someone who is not called a product manager, but they very much do the tech side of the product manager. Role. Yeah. So Portify was was like that. Um, I was way more on the business side in Portify. We had a designer, we had a very strong technical team. It was more like our user research and the overall strategy that I needed to work on. Um, and I think over time, I found that's my niche. I, I have like a decent design, I, I a decent understanding of, of tech, but probably a bit more on the business side. Yeah, okay. I want to rein you in a bit. Before we leave Qubit, uh, introversion in an account manager role. Mm. Now, people always assume that extroverts are the best at sales and the best mm. at networking and all sorts of stuff. I'm sure you have the research on this, but I know that research exists to prove the opposite mm. because introverts are more trustworthy and they develop proper relationships rather than, oh, yeah, let's have a coffee and then tech off that Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, well, what's your comment on that or what's your experience of it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of my work or like maybe way of thinking is uh, to understand yourself in that in that in that situation. Right. Um, so if you are very much an extrovert salesperson, lean into that, you know, um, if you are more of an introvert, lean into those sort of things. But I did find that it was it was it was a lot easier. I think maybe I knew where the pitfalls were. So like the first meeting was pretty shit at because that was all about like relationship building and like getting to know people. But we had a customer success manager who if it was um if I got on very well with them, then they definitely led the charge in that one. Yeah. Where I was super good at was the the kind of the technical side, like how will this all fit together? So that kind of second meeting and what we think we should do over the next three months, that was where I, then I was saying, this is great. So I used to just say to that person, I don't like doing the first part. Please get that done. And then they would do it. And then I would, and they very much don't like the second part, which I was like, yeah, I love that part. But I think as an introvert there, you're, you're way more, you're, you're, 
better at dealing with the relationship once it's kind of the ice is being broken. Yeah. And you can develop that bit of trust. You can develop that, that kind of sense of, of a relationship there. And then, um, and I thought also that was just like a very useful way to kind of, to understand what the lay of the land is and what you're good at, what you're not so good at and try and, and double down on the good stuff and, and, and get rid of the bad stuff. Yeah. And you'll always be part of a team. So actually an example of this, I'm super extrovert. And last year I was a can executive. So just, uh, doing straight up sales, new sales. Mm. And we'd always be working with prospects. And then I have a sales engineer who yeah. is uh, yeah. more tech heavy and usually probably more introvert as well. Yeah. Definitely more introvert than me. And some customers loved working with me because I always try to make it fun and it's all like rah, rah, rah. And it's, it's very extrovert, heavy type thing. Some customers hate it. Yeah, it just doesn't yeah, suit yeah. them at all. It's it puts difficult. them off. Yeah. And they wouldn't trust me because I'm so like yappy and jokey or whatever. Yeah. And, but that's just the way I am. Like I, I, I try to be warm and then it's perceived as that sort of stuff. Yeah. So sometimes it's a case where we'd say, actually keep Maxwell off that and put an introvert in or put yeah, someone yeah, quiet. Exactly. Yeah. And so there are horses for courses here. You will often come across in a sales role, even, uh, an introvert doing a better job than an extrovert with certain types of buyers or yeah, exactly. partners or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, basically my message, and I want to hear yours as well, but my message to introverts looking to get into the business side of tech is don't be put off by that. Yeah. There's many paths there for you. And 100%. I think if, if, if you had an ideal organization of a hundred people and they all knew what they were very good at and what they were not so good at, that would be the most efficient machine possible. And I think that's, something that can be confusing when you go into a new company is you see, say, um, someone who's very sales orientated, very much an extrovert. And you think like, I will never succeed unless I'm like them. Yeah. And that's, it's almost like a carrot dangling in your face. It's kind of like trying to make you go down that path, but you should know, or maybe, um, feel that that shouldn't be the case and you should be able to, understand what you're good at and, and really hone that down until you get to a point where you can carve out your own sort of niche yeah um, okay so i think that's the way i kind of see it is is not uh very easy just to go to keep swapping between kind of almost different personas yeah of of what you see as success but you should really focus in on your own type of success and um have your own set of kind of learnings or goals based on what you think you're good at and and not make that put you into a comfort zone but you know use it to try and define your own path essentially and success, I'd imagine, probably wouldn't even be fun if you were pretending to someone to yeah, get there. You know yeah, what I mean? exactly. Cheers. So uh, yeah. it's a cliche for a reason. Be true to yourself. Yeah, and be, yeah. be yourself. Um, so going to where you were going then, you left uh, You left Qubit after, what, a year and a bit? Uh, yeah, a year and a half. A year and a half. To go see it. And uh, jumped into to Portify then. Yeah. And you were the first employee. What's yeah. it like going into a place, joining just the founders? Oh, I love that. That was... That was the whole Portify experience was was so so good. I mean, when I was saying there, you know, I've always wanted to start my own company. I honestly didn't feel that leaving Cuba was the right time then either. And so I said, what's the next be- best thing? Which is try and get in as the first into into an early stage company. Um, and I kind of started to have this inkling that um, I didn't want to just go work for a company that did. Um, you know, sold B two B software. Data pipelines. <laughs> <laughs> why do I say this? I don't get around that issue. There. But uh, I didn't want to do. I wanted the product itself to be meaningful, and I think that was quite important for me. And with Portify, you know, Portify was an app to help 
um, people who couldn't access credit before, so like immigrants into the country or, or gig workers, gig workers, people with low credit scores, a way to access financial credit. Um, and it was a new model that was kind of turning it on its head a small bit. Um, so that interested me. And I just, the, the first part, I mean, the first couple of weeks were really difficult. You, you had to, you had to go from zero to one, you know, you had to create that value. Mm. And that was like a very strong experience. And okay, I have to go and set up my own day. I have to, find out what I should be working on, find out what the best way is. So like a massive amount of information inside that, that I had to try and understand and put together. And it, again, took me ages. It took me three, six months to try and get that groundwork in. But then after that, we started to grow and it was just like a very, very interesting journey. Yeah, I've got a ton of questions about this. Um, where to start? When you're the first one there, or one of the first ones there, mm-hmm. when, sorry, when you're there ages, there's loads like you're, the ship has already got a lot of momentum towards yeah, the direction, yeah. and you kind of just slot in, and and it, you know that momentum will carry you day to day in your activities, in your relationships, and the way things are done. When you go in and it's at a standing start, there's a lot of like kind of awkwardness and tension. Yeah. As people are like, I think we should go like uh, northwest. No, I want to go northeast. No, I want to go north. And like there's three people in a room fighting about that type of thing, and then that that dynamic continues presumably for the first two years, I'd imagine. Mm. What's it like being part of that? Like that would be a very new experience for a lot of people joining. Yeah, huge. Um, I, when you're just speaking there, the, I think it was John Collison from Stripe said that you know a big a big machine um, once it's up and running is great because it's it's like a, a ball rolling down the hill. Yeah, but a startup for the first two to five years is you trying to push that ball up the hill. You know, a big massive stone up the hill. So everything is a challenge. Like even, I remember someone saying to me as well, even buying the milk in the fridge. You know, there's not a corporation around you to do that. So you have to even do that level of detail in there. Yeah. Um. But I know your question more around like the kind of the direction and things. But I always found that actually a lot easier as as an introvert. I think because it wasn't speaking in front of a room full of thirty people. They had to try and, you know, go through each one of them, understand what their, um, what their fears and, and, uh, you know, goals were. It was three people in the room and we could, we had, our time was our own. You know, we weren't holding to anyone. We didn't have any clients or anything like that. So we could just sit there and just talk for ages and ages. And that was a, a lot better process for me to try and, um, understand. So we definitely had still, and, and towards the end, even that I was there, we still had these huge, like, disagreements and, um, huge amount of time trying to work stuff stuff out but I thought that was pretty fascinating because it wasn't like an admin detail it was like where do we think our strategy should be in the next six months which I love as well so um, for me in that moment it was much easier I thought than being in a bigger company yeah okay and with limited resources so like for people who still probably don't know it my one sentence description and I want to hear yours of a product manager is the person who chooses what and why a product picture an app can do something and then they work with the engineers to figure out how yeah, yeah. on the back end is that is that pretty much yeah, in line pretty with much. yours yeah so when you have limited resources say you only have one engineer uh it's yeah. a it's a big kind of just it, it's tricky to choose what to do first and why to do it and all that sort of yeah. thing you'd probably end up questioning the purpose of the company even as you prioritize different things oh, like hugely. yeah yeah i mean you, you you think like have i made a massive mistake in this direction you know you got i think we had like 50 users at the very beginning, feedback is so low, like you you have to make decisions on no data, essentially, yeah. which I think is the hardest part. Um, but I think one of the really good things about the product manager job is that you have all of these users to interview. So I think like we tried to interview maybe 10 plus users every month, which is actually a bit low, but 
we tried to do that and try and get a lot of feedback from them. So every time that we came with our strategy to the engineers or um, we talked in these like small product meetings that we had, we just reams of data, basically what users had saying. Yeah. Um, and even like recordings of the conversation or little snippets that they had said. So the big, um, I think like string in a product manager's bow is, is being the source of data, essentially, mm. both the quantitative that's online and then the qualitative from the user interviews. And you're that source of truth of what your users are actually saying. And I also found that very useful as well, because if there's any sense of ego in the room or people disagreeing, you can just say, well, this is actually a user who said, or, you know, 10, 15, 20 users who said that's absolutely horseshit. So you can use that to your advantage and bring that in. And again, from my point of view, I loved interviewing people. It was one-on-one. -on -one. We just sat down. We always used to do it in person. So it was like 20 minutes, 30 minutes of just a chat. That was a big part of the job, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And so you got a lot out of them. And you could, I think one of the things I loved was seeing the real tangible value of what the product actually did. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah, not to digress, but one one user had said that because she was able to access credit, basically like £100, and she was able to access £100 um, through the app, it saved her like £400 because she used to, she was a nurse that was also training for her PhD. And she used to have to gather money together to go to a conference and book it the night before. And so she got the hotel at the highest rate, the um, right. travel at the highest rate, all of these things at the highest rate. It's called like the, the poverty premium, which is like a really interesting thing. Um, if you're if you're way lower income, you end up having to pay way more on average just because you don't have the, the cash flow. That's mad. Yeah. So we were able to do that. And when we when we heard those stories, we used to just put them up in the wall or the slack and then we were able to, to use that. That's unreal. Yeah, so it was really good. So I really enjoyed that part as well. Before you joined, how did you evaluate the risk of that? And bear in mind, like the audiences are probably a couple of years, mostly mm. a couple of years younger than us, but they, a lot of them want to found or mm. be early employees in startups, but they think, oh my God, it's so risky. You, I remember you still got a really good salary when you joined mm. Portify. So it didn't actually affect your cash flow at all. No. You assumed some stock, which gave you really good upside as in like to put it crassly, you could have made a lot of money had the whole thing gone. Yeah. And still should the whole thing go really well. Um, where was the downside? Where was the risk? Um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, when I was evaluating them, I actually did a really bad job there. I, I didn't, I just had the two, I think, three interviews with them and I was like, these guys sound great. I'll just join them. And then people were like, Oh, did you do due diligence on them? Did you call their VCs? Did you do anything? And I said, no. <laughs> so that was a big risk. Um, but the downside is not, I couldn't, I couldn't point to a downside. Cause the, the perceived downside is huge. Everyone's all like, Oh my God, exactly. you're the first employee. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But I, the real downside is yeah. oh hugely. I mean, there's, there's nothing there. I was 20, six at the time so still very young and i think the the thing that people really forget is if you go into a, a job interview any interview and you're like i was the first employee or i started my own company and i did it for two years with the value that people place on that level of yeah of, the uh, rawness of yeah those yeah and they, they they just they don't even have to ask anything about it they know what's in it it's just like all right, you had to get something off the ground. That means, you know, you've got a lot of drive, blah, blah, blah. So the value there is you probably actually could could look for a higher salary once you've done it for yeah. a year and a half or two years. Um, and so uh, I thought about those things, but I mean, that didn't really, I didn't really care too much about it. I just wanted to do this thing and, and try it out and get that experience and, and get closer, I think. Yeah, it's a huge, I think it's a very good uh, message for, people to hear mm. is that the, the perceived downside is enormous fair 
but the real like because you really knit into it yeah the proceed the, the real downside is is almost non-existent exactly i mean there's one opportunity cost i think is is probably the the one thing i could highlight which is if you're in a very good job and you're really enjoying that and it's a rocket ship then I could kind of say, okay, you're you're losing out on future incomes. Yeah, essentially. yeah, yeah. And you, it might be the case that you might not have given that the time that you need to get out of that. You know, you you have still a lot to learn in there. Um, I could understand that maybe. Um, but the, if you're feeling like, okay, I feel like I, I need to move, then there's a zero downside. Yeah, I, and I just remember, like, I mean, you gave so much to Portify, but mm. you got so much from it as well. Like you, you evolved very Jeez. clearly. Like you, you before, you after, very different. Yeah. And you get, I mean, you, forget about money, forget about career stuff. Just as a person, you grow a lot from going through that experience yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and after a while, after two years of it, you figured it was time for you to grab your own. Yeah, and that was that was really really sad. I mean, thinking about the opportunity cost there was was pretty big. Yeah, like I could have stayed on and, and been a product manager for a while, and they were growing like double every month, um, essentially in, in user growth and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that was huge, and I love the team. Um, and but I just said again, maybe now is the time, and. Mm. Uh, when I've always had that feeling, it's it's probably right uh, throughout throughout my career, short career so far, um, and I wanted what what they had. I I wanted to go out and set my own one up now yeah. and try that out, and I wanted to, I guess, like take on the challenge. That's really what I wanted to do. Two questions broadly: How has that experience been so far? Mm. And then more narrowly: How has that experience been versus that of an early employee? Or uh, I guess the second question first. It's radically different. Um, Interesting. Being being an early employee, you still feel, I guess, even there's a hierarchy above you or support there, or that you're your second in command, so that the other person is taking the lead on what the strategy is essentially. Mm. Uh, now it wasn't really the case. We we worked very equally, and it was it was like a flat structure, so that wasn't the way. But when you're outside on your own, there's no one else. You know, you're you are the only person. Yeah. I'm lucky to have a very good co-founder as well. Um, but in terms of like the business side and is which is the way I am now, there's nothing. There's nothing. You know, there's no safety catch around you to to try and get in there. Um, and I think that kind of relates to the first question, which how has the experience been? I mean, it's up and down, and everyone says, "Oh, startups like up and down. You have like highs and lows." And I was like, "Oh yeah, whatever." But it has been hugely up and down, and I think it's a very humbling experience because the thing about setting up your own company is it lays all your flaws for everyone to see <laughs> because there's no one else. See anything that goes wrong or anything that goes, goes right. Even again, you're laid bare in that. And so you have to be very, very clear in uh, accepting that, but also very, very clear in what you're good at and what you're not so good at and try to again, optimize for that. Yeah. I found it. I just did it for nine months with grad life without a proper job. And I've been doing it for two and a half years or something. Like that. And it, it humbling, like it, it couldn't be more humbling. Yeah. Like it literally could not be more yeah. humbling. And uh, like from everything, from being the guy showing up with drinks who's not making any money for the last year, <laughs> to uh, to Max O'Hanlon to do the last podcast. Oh Jesus! About, I don't know, three months ago. Like that's how unorganized yeah. that. Like it's all yeah. laid totally bare. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's but. That that experience going through that and say even just for me with that example realizing that I am relatively unorganized and 
that I just I just wanted to talk to customers all day long. It's yeah. the only thing I wanted to do when I was a founder. I didn't want to do anything to do with the product. Yeah. That sent me in a very clear direction. Like you know that you learn so much about yourself doing it. Exactly. That yeah. it really stands and it kind of accelerates you thereafter. Yeah. Uh, in what you're able to kind of focus in on. They're just your clear uh what's it called what are they called? Magnetic attractions. Yeah. New customers, you product or whatever. Exactly. And I think that's it's a big, big lesson to learn and you can't prepare for it because no. it's, it's you can only prepare for it by being in that scenario um and i think you're less than an ant like you're nothing you know so like when you go to a client and they say great this product sounds very interesting what's your team size and you say two then they're just almost looking at you like what are you even doing here you yeah know? so you face that challenge quite a lot but then i think you also you have to, I think the biggest thing, you have to work on the positive side as well, mm. which I think is, I found very helpful because it's kind of forced me to do that. Because if you, if you are the negative person in a two-man startup, you know, things aren't going to go so well. Yeah. So you actually have to be very positive and you have to take these like really small, tiny wins and you have to blow them out of proportion just because you need it. And uh, I think that's been something that's been actually on the very positive side is the um, kind of change in thinking in that way, which is that you have to really scrap and, and fight for the smallest wins. But once you get them, they're yours. So it's great. I was asking you yesterday about like some of the, the worst parts of it. And you said something very interesting. You said the lack of dopamine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, for people? I mean, that's when I think I, that was definitely something I felt over the last couple of weeks. When you're in a bigger company, you know, deals come your way. Um, you've got product metrics that are going up, more users, everyone's saying everything is great. Um, even when it's not, people are still saying it's probably great somewhere. Whereas when you've got a startup that you're making yourself, you've got no customers, you are yeah. working together, you're slogging away, trying to get something off the ground. And so you just go long stretches with that dopamine which sounds so weird but it is you don't get that oh it takes I, ages i'm a dopamine junkie yeah like, yeah total dopamine junkie whatever playing cards i'd like nearly flip the table yeah, if I exactly. everything. yeah and it's a barren land for dopamine <laughs> yeah. you know, it does not come by so i think that was we got into a second phase of our accelerator program and i think that was just when that happened i think my previous um way of thinking was you know don't get too high with the highs don't get too low with the lows keep a nice even keel and everything's going good but then i was talking to someone and he was just saying you know the lows are going to come so get high with highs yeah and and forget about the rest and they'll keep you going exactly and yeah. i think that when that happened i was like oh let's just like really enjoy this time. yeah very small thing but a very small thing could be lead to quite a quite yeah. a large time horizon. Dead right, um, I think. But yeah, you you do need to keep the positivity up, like mm. absolutely in that moment. How do you do that? Managing yourself becomes a, a whole priority. You used to have someone managing you, like literally, mm. you're the manager. But also, it's managing your own mentality and yeah. that sort of thing. Is a it's big. Thing. I mean, it ties back into the the sort of humbling experience. I think as well, um, you have to rely on other people. You have to rely on those around you and and try to. Um, you know, use them as well as even a sounding board and things. And that was something I'm pretty crap at. I think I still am quite bad at. Um, and I think that's something I need to improve on as well. Yeah. Um, but you do need to, you need to first of all, get your own headspace right. And you need to try and work on that every day. Um, I mean, people try journaling as well, just to try and get their thoughts down, which I've actually found quite useful as well. Um, but I think it's all the support around you and trying to, trying to utilize that as much as possible and trying to keep things going. Yeah, nice one. 
So what exactly are you trying to achieve with Dodo? Tell us about Dodo, the company, the reason you're doing it, what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, so the, the reason I'm doing it, I guess, to start there is, um, as we were kind of talking about with Portify, I really enjoy products that try and make an impact um, and have kind of a, a wider impact rather than just like, um, you know, just a tool that anyone uses. Um, social enterprises, essentially. Social enterprises, exactly. Um, I mean, like this, it's kind of a negative word around social enterprises because you think it's kind of this like hippie thing mm. that, you know, doesn't make money. Doesn't make money exactly and it's relying on government funding. But there's been a range of startups coming out now that are very much profit orientated, but they have a, a social good attached. Um, and I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of stats around like the next generation coming up. They want to work for those type of companies. Um, they want to have impact on what they're doing. Um, but so anyway, I think that's kind of where, where I, I definitely wanted to focus on and why I wanted to, to get in there. So Dodo is a tool that allows companies to become carbon neutral in, in five minutes. Um, so a lot of companies, they're facing pressure from maybe their employees, um, from the government, from their customers, but mainly from what we've seen is that people just want to do good. Um, and they want companies to take care of, of their, their business as it were. Um, and they wanted just to um, have an impact as well. And, 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 you know, the environment is such a massive issue now that um, these companies are aware of, of the emissions that they're pumping out. Um, but what we found is that very high um, amount of knowledge needed to understand what your emissions actually are as a company. You have to probably hire someone or you have to hire a consultant to try and manage it. Um, it's a very, very long process. And so what we have done is tried to reduce the barriers down to just these few minutes by connecting in with accounting systems or other integrations within the company itself. Um, so we are able to generate a full footprint, a carbon footprint for the company in a few minutes and then link them into carbon offset projects across the world where they can start to um, draw down this carbon that they've produced and, and make an impact and, and share that good amongst other companies out there as well because um, the more companies that are doing this, the better. Is your best way into companies to get employees to bring it up and flag it up the up the ranks and get leadership to take action. I think so. I I don't know yet. I mean, we're 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 early stages. I don't know if that's the the right way yet. Um, I mean, if we can have some, it always helps to have like an evangelist within the company to try and and drive it forward. Um, especially one that doesn't really stop. They they really are passionate and want to do this and and they mm. keep going with this. Um, but often has to be this this company culture that that aligns to, and I mean we we've kind of gone through it as well. But a lot of companies these days have values, and you can see them on their websites. You know, six ten values that they have, and you know it's around like stewardship. You know, leaving the planet in a better That's place a thing, than it was yeah. before, and the, all of these values that exist. And this is the perfect way for companies to you know live and breathe those values and and show that to their employees as well so i think it, it comes from a, a often comes from like a group or an individual evangelist within the company but the company has to understand how this fits into their wider strategy and, and how it actually brings the company's values to life as well yeah you mentioned earlier how like if someone tries a startup and then it fails and they go for an interview in that interview they have a real dimension to their character to mm, show mm. Uh, which is that of a self-starter and a self-leader or whatever mm. If someone tries a social enterprise and they show they're taking ownership for one of the world's problems, that shows another element yeah. of character that, and you know, as companies look to hire young leaders or just leaders, uh, that's an incredible thing to be able to show someone. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, there's been such a mindset shift, mm. mind shift set. I can't remember what the word is. Paradigm it. shift. Yeah, paradigm shift in, in, in 
terms of, you know, if a company today started uh, or was was a startup that, you know, was like oil drilling or was doing something quite bad, the reaction would be so um, huge against it. You know, um, I, I guess the kind of the, the point I'm trying to make is that this has been such a big shift towards the environment, towards uh, equal rights for women, mm. towards, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement right now that a lot of this has got a lot of momentum. And I think the more people that get into it, the better. And it's very much um, it's very much a good thing that people are starting to care a lot about these things. And I think that trend is only going to continue. So for, for companies that are looking out for employees that care about this, you know, they want to see some of these markers up and potentially, I don't know. Um, but I think if, if I was hiring people, I would look for something that shows that they have that difference about them, that they care about issues. Yeah we're caring about an issue and that's what i would kind of look for within that as well funny there's two things i used to always say and probably mostly write actually because i used to write about social enterprise a lot a couple of years ago and there was two things that always kind of came up one was that uh, and this is from a purely commercial perspective for people who just want to make money mm. if you want to build a business to make money the only way you're going to do is have to solve a problem yeah, yeah a problem that is worth a lot of money to solve or a problem that is wide scaled mm. now social enterprises go out to solve the world's problems the most scaled problems in the world. Yeah. And so there's, for every problem that the world has, there's an enormously scalable commercial opportunity there mm. for entrepreneurs to make money from if yeah. that's what their prerogative yeah. is. And so just piggybacking your point that, you know, it's not a, it's not an either or between making money and, and solving the issues. Mm. The issues represent huge opportunities to make the money. And uh, that ties into the second thing that I used to always say was that uh, it takes a really smart person. And let's just say it, it takes an eight, eight out of 10 person to come up with a business model that's going to make money and that's going to actually work. Mm. It takes a 10 out of 10 person to come up with a business model that's going to make money and it's going to actually work and at the same time have that model solve a social issue. Yeah. So the people you're looking for are super talented, but if, God forbid, you try this and fail, you've put yourself into that 10 out of 10 bracket still yeah. because you've come up with a business model that would make money and that uh, would solve the world's problem yeah, as well. I guess like it's not something that's been, that's been in my conscious at all because it, it's not, I'm not looking to do this to yeah. to rise up my, my rankings in CV terms. Um, I guess the point I would make around it is that um, we've often uh, separated the two. And I don't understand why, yeah. you know, we separated that you either must be purely money driven and to the detriment of impact. And so you're, you can't be, you know, 80% money driven and 20% is social impact. Mm. We've really separated those. And I think that's very strange. Why is it looked on as very, as very weird to be both, you know, yeah. you can use your drive to drive social impact to benefit yourself potentially, but also to benefit the wider society. Um, you know, doctors get paid a huge amount of money but uh, they do such a social good and people don't kind of question that. Yeah. Why, why can we bring that into, into it's, it's business, very true. Essentially? It's a brilliant way of looking. I'd love to see uh, members of, of grad life go off and kind of look into this as well. Mm. Uh, moving towards the end, cause I know we're a little bit tight on time, but moving towards the end, what I'm going to break this question into two. It's usually one question uh, about books. Question for you is what books have helped you as a founder mm. or, a, you know, in your career, mm. not, the the one the introvert one mm, yeah, yeah as a founder what's been useful i've seen you've seen lying around just different books on growth or the eric reese probably yeah. the, the startup the lean startup this sort of thing yeah as a founder i think one of them the best ones um 
I, I've got two actually, like some of them, I love really practical books. Like sometimes when I'm trying to dig into an issue, I don't really like, you know, these kind of high level books around like what it is and how your mindset should be. Mm. If I really want to know something, I'd like some practical examples. Right. Um, so the traction book, I mean, it might not be so useful to a lot of people, but it's a, it's a book on like 19 ways to acquire customers. Interesting. And very practical. Yeah, very, very practical. And I mean, even if people were, were trying to set up a, like a side gig on this, on the, on the side, um, that they would use it because it's, it breaks it down this way of saying, okay, based on your business, here's what you want to do. Um, and I also really liked, uh, is it founders at work? Is that what the book is called? Uh, I think so. It rings a bell. I haven't read it, but it rings a bell. Yeah. And it's just like a load of stories around different founders, what their journey was that they went through. And like the ups and downs, why people, some people got acquired. And I think nice. it's just a very good example of, of the way businesses can go and why people are thinking in different ways. And yeah. it's kind of not, not the, um, not the end if something goes, uh, if something fails as a business and they've kind of gone and created other businesses and the motivations behind it. Just yeah. Very interesting. Just shows you the ups and downs of it. And then I remember when we were living together, you got an enormous amount out of quiet by yeah, Susan Cain, yeah, yeah. you as an introvert. Yeah. That, what did, I mean, is it an over-exaggeration to say that that book point, or shone a spotlight on your place in the world type thing as an introvert, George? I think it was one of those, um, the, one of those turning points, I think. Like, I guess it was what we kind of talked about, you know, when people are going into companies, they see very successful people and they think, I must be those people. Yeah. And when I read that book, so it's quite by, by Susan Cain, it was saying that, you know, an introvert can win in this mm. by being what they are, are by themselves. You know, yeah. they understand who they are and they are mm. optimizing for that. So it was a massive, massive book for me because I read it and I was like, this sounds exactly like what I'm facing. And now I know how to kind of play to my strengths. And that was the moment that I was like, okay, now I can, I know how to go out and, and use these strengths. And, and that was a very much a, a foundation moment. Yeah. It's an incredible thing. And like, mm. I'd, I'd love for anyone listening to this who does identify as an introvert to go out and, you know, could, I just remember it did an enormous amount of yeah, good for yeah, you. Yeah, it was and, huge. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny even to use the term, this is what I'm facing. Yeah. As a, yeah. Going back to that taboo or illness. Yeah, mentality. yeah, exactly. No, it's so a strange weird. thing. Yeah. It's a very strange thing. Um, okay, so to wrap up then, a couple more quick fires. We got the book out of the way. Uh, any quotes that you would live by? Um, yeah, I mean, I also love, the, I think the two books as well. So like Quiet by Susan Cain, fantastic. And then I love Warren Buffett and the oh, yeah. Warren Buffett Snowball book um, as well. And I think that's a prime example of someone just playing purely to his strengths. Mm. He knows what his weaknesses are and he doesn't care. He's just like, these are my strengths. I'm, I know I'm going to win. Um, so I love all of his quotes, but, um, I mean, the one that I'd like as well is just the greatest investment is in yourself. So like, and I don't mean just buy a lot of self-help books and read them, but understand what your skills are and, and double down on those. Like, that's exactly why you're going to win in the future. If you, if you do that and understand how you can start to learn about some of the things that you are good at and, and optimize for those. Um, but I think something that's quite relevant to probably what I'm doing as well is a Warren Buffett quote. Um, so someone's sitting in the shade today because someone else planted a tree a long time ago. So it's around like the impact that you can have as a person, but it takes time. And mm. so a lot of this is going to be on this 70 year timeline, I guess, that the people are on um, from here on out. And I think it's, it's recognizing that some of the things that you can do today can drive a much longer impact for a lot of other people around the world yeah you know in the next couple of years i'm just thinking about that first one you said about uh 
I'm picturing it being or plenty of strengths. I'm picturing imagine like a company with a marketing budget mm. and uh they can do Facebook, Google, Instagram or Snapchat, whatever. And they realize that Facebook money is wasted, Google money is wasted, Instagram money is wasted, all the money works on Snapchat. Mm. Get all the money next time and just put it work on, yeah, put it yeah. on Snapchat. Yeah. Same thing. If you're good at uh, good at sales, bad at analysis, bad at maths, bad at investing, whatever. Just stop investing your time and effort. Yeah. In your, that is your money is exactly. your time and effort. Yeah. And just dump it all into sales exactly. and you'll start to see outside rewards. Yeah. And I mean, there's like everyone expects everyone to be this like, you know, everything, everyone has to be great at everything. Yeah. Is it the opposite? Not you know, the like, case. None of the successful people are like that. Exactly. They yeah. play to their strengths and they put a team around them. Exactly. That, that covers yeah. their weaknesses. I mean, that traction book also, nothing to do with personal development, but that's what it says. Like find, explore 19 channels, find the one and just all in. Money. Yeah. yeah. Love that. And uh, it's pretty relevant for life then as well. Yeah. Anyone in public life you look up to? Uh, I guess Warren Buffett. Actually. Warren Buffett. Yeah, Consistency, um, patience, wisdom. Yeah. And he talks again, like, I mean, the, the theme has come up a lot, but he talks about like this circle of competence and he plays within this co- circle of competence and he's not willing to, not to say that he's not willing to get out of his comfort zone, but he knows what he's good at and he goes, yeah. Interesting. So when I read that and just some of the things that he said, he's a very, uh, I mean, he has a book on his quotes, like it's like... A, I have it, it's yeah, the title of Warren Buffett, yeah, yeah. And that, all of them are so good, mm. so um, I really, like even sometimes when I go back to some of his stuff, I'd read through it and then I'm like, oh, it's interesting and I get something else out of it. I actually have that in our five-town office in London yeah. for people to pick up and just, so you know, good. take a bit of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, it's unreal. Um, last thing, anything you wish you did in college or as a grad? Um... I I wish that I probably did maybe business and computing or maybe more computer science just because I think maybe people think that tech is important now. It's going to be like yeah. a thousand times more important in the next couple of years. It's going to be like being able to read. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I wish I had a foundation in that. But I also wish that I'd probably set something up as like a, a pure... Uh, just a side gig mm. within within college, Same. and that could be anything. It could be consulting. It could be a very small startup. It could just be tutoring. Uh, anything. Exactly. And I really wish I did that just to give more skills because I think I found when I came out that you know I did Accenture and then I said well I need to go into a tech company and then I said I'm not ready yet to set up my own company so I went in as into Portify and then it's kind of now I'm ready to set it up. Whereas I think it would be much better if I just had that experience, just to be able to like play around with it and, and yeah. be able to do that and get to the get to the point quicker. I think. Yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm much the same. Well, Jack Kennedy, thank you very much for joining. That was brilliant. Thanks for having me on.